This is one of my favorite passages from the Apostle Paul. Why, you might say? Well, some people would say because this is the climax of Paul's writings in Galatians. Other people might say, well, this is the apex of the entire gospel of Jesus. Some people would say, yes, this in fact is the apex, the height of Christian living because we find our identity as a people in Jesus, the one who calls all people to belong. Maybe to you and me, that might not seem like the most radical thing we've ever heard, that we uh, belong to Jesus because we live in a Western world where we have lots of options and we have grown to know all sorts of different people and communities around us. But for Paul and in his day, when this was written in the Greco-Roman community, this was pretty huge. When Paul starts off and he suggests you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, that in and of itself is a moment that could have mind-blown people. Why he is taking this word sons that in the Greek translates to huios, meaning children. Not just men in the community, but all people in the community. He starts off with a bang right away, and then Paul goes and he lists the people who belong as children in the church of God now, in the church of Christ. And so he breaks down that in order to be a part of this community, you are baptized by the Spirit of Jesus, baptized into this faith community, and that your only prerequisite, your only thing to do is to accept the love of God in Jesus and to live your life in that faith and responding to that love. Why was this upside down for the Jewish and uh, Greco-Roman communities? Because in order for um, Gentiles, who were people who did not belong to the Jewish community, in order for them to be converted into the church, there were so many different layers that they had to go through before they were considered a part of the Jewish community, a part of the Jewish church. What were those illustrations? They called them rituals of offering animal sacrifices of all sorts. And they had to go through cleaning rituals more than once because, of course, um, most of them were understood to be pagan or from all sorts of different other um, religious communities. And so they weren't pure enough to be a part of the Jewish community, but the Jewish Christian community. So, of course, layers and layers of rituals and the most significant one that separated the community from being able to belong to this Jewish Christian community was circumcision. There was a point where some rabbis were well with baptism being the main form of conversion into the church, but that wasn't as common. A lot of rabbis preferred that they go through all of these illustrations, all of these rituals in order to belong so that they could be sure that they really were ceremonially pure and belonging to the church. So what this also meant, though, was that about 50% of the population could not participate, maybe even more, could not participate as members of this faith community in church. In particular, we see this list 
of women, of slaves, and then eventually even of children. Women, of course, could not be converted into um, a religious tradition unless they were married into it. Or, um, of course, later acceptable was baptism. But in this time frame, women could not be circumcised. Therefore, women could never be a part of this Christian community accepting that love of Christ and new life in Christ. And then we had slaves who really weren't even allowed to decide if they could be circumcised themselves. It wasn't their decision to make either. And then, of course, children who were considered just about equal or maybe less than slaves because they owned nothing. They didn't own themselves. They had no space also to make decisions about their faith development or faith rituals in their community. So Paul is coming in pretty radically, suggesting that instead of thinking of these layers of rituals, that we have one who has gone through all of the rituals, and that is enough. And you and I and the people who he was pastoring and walking alongside, that they now could come and be a part of the body of Christ. No longer just a religious circle, a religious identity, but the large body of Christ, Paul is calling the people to think beyond the barriers that their communities depended on. And of course, these barriers were long-standing all the way back to the Old Testament. We know that the people of Israel lived in these rituals from day to day. It's how they knew who they were. It's how they found their identity. It's what set them apart from other people. It's how they knew they were the people of God. And so this now, Paul comes in and turns it on its head. And now, now that's not the wholeness of who we are. That's not our identity. Paul is asking the people to stretch. Paul is asking the people for a perspective switch. And that perspective switch comes by being clothed in the spirit of Christ. Paul calls the people to a more intimate recalibration of what it means to be a believer in the Holy One of God in Jesus. Like clothing, it's a very intimate process, right? Uh, clothing that sits on the closest layer of your skin. You walk around in it all day long. What an intimate process. What does it mean when you and I wear Jesus like the clothing on our bodies, an intimate relationship that helps us rethink and walk in the world differently than we would have before this? So... Paul is coming in pretty radically egalitarian here, creating a space for all people to be equal in the church and in the eyes of God, suggesting that then our identity creates a connection that we are heirs of God, that we belong to the body of Christ, not because we have gone through layers of rituals, but because God has called us into relationship with God. God self. So for you and I today, what does that mean as you and I think about the ways that we are walking with the Holy One and we are accepting that clothing? How is it that we are being asked to recalibrate 
our ways of walking in the world and the barriers that you and I have become accustomed to. Whether that's in the church, whether that is in our personal cultures, whatever it is, what is Jesus asking for you and I to rethink? Maybe when we look to our left and to our right, we have to pay attention to the discomforts that trigger us. When we look to our right and we look to our left and we have trouble with a person who is a different color than us, or we look to our right and we look to our left and we have trouble with the political views of the people on either side that are different from us. When we look to our right and we look to our left and we are troubled by someone's gender and or sexual orientation, what is Paul suggesting here? That we not look at each other for the differences that make us who we are, but instead try on a new lens of Jesus that calls for us to look to our right and to our left and not lean in with judgment because it turns out that's not our job but instead that we turn to our right and we turn to our left and we lean in with the grace that God grants each and every one of us. Why do we make it so hard as the body of Christ for people to come in and to know Jesus? Are we functioning in the world that way? Is when we wake up and we say, I am a believer in the Holy One that is Jesus, do we walk in the world creating more barriers for people, more ways of separation amongst ourselves? Or are we creating more space for God's love to be known and for God's church to grow? This is Paul's argument. He is leaning into this eschatological perspective that this is the kingdom of God coming into fruition. This is what we all have been waiting for. And God is leading the way through. And some of us might be bound and held back by the rituals and perspectives and a way of life that sets us apart to be different from one another. So we look at this idea, and now Paul is reminding us, but, but you and I, when the time has come, God sends Jesus, God's son, born of a woman, in this law and redeeming us under this law, each and every one of us coming to Christ also in need of our own redemption and new way of approaching life as we see one another, or maybe it's within us. Maybe it's within us that we need to have a perspective shift and we have been holding ourselves to barriers that keep us actually from walking with Christ in our life. But Paul recognizes that this is a journey. The spiritual journey is one that takes time, and it often is difficult. Not unlike children who have to grow and mature as we belong to a God. We don't have to think about the error part, right? As we talked about that several weeks back. What does it mean when you're an heir? It means often that you were born into these traditions, into these cultural identities. But in this one, God chooses you. And you are not born into it, but God is calling you into it and transforming you into the body of Christ and moving you through those stages of maturity along the way. 
God sends the Spirit of God's Son into our hearts, and the Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. We look to God always in all parts of our conversion, in all parts of our walk, in all parts of our declaration as people of God. So you are no longer slave, but you are sons. And since you are a son, God will make you an heir. So much of our life is likely dictated by historical experiences. And some of us are living out of that anxiety, out of that scarcity of our life. Not unlike the people of Israel who had years and years of exile and years of years of living as slaves in their lives and now living slaves to these rituals and these ideas. Now Paul is suggesting that's not who you are anymore. Who you are, as Jesus has been the one who has taken over all of those rituals and custom and has folded you into the bosom of Christ, you now belong. And we can shed the anxiety and the history in of ourselves. Are you holding on to something? Have you been holding on to something heavy that keeps reminding you that you are different, that you are not accepted? And are we projecting that same anxiety onto the world around us? This is an incredible opportunity to re-identify ourselves as the people of God, walking around with this clothing of hope and love and encouragement to the world that needs a totally different way of living. And what a beautiful thing that we don't have to keep creating barriers in order for somebody to belong to the body of Christ. But simply that God calls us into relationship and we accept and then we extend that out to the people around us as well listening to a podcast earlier this week, uh, Dr. Murphy, Surgeon General, the 19th Surgeon General, and Brene Brown, they had a conversation about loneliness. Loneliness triggered by all the things around us. We can be surrounded by people and things and fulfilling relationships, and still we can be lonely. Where is our identity? Finding us separate from all sorts of different communities instead of bridging the gap Instead of living out of scarcity or that loneliness that separates us, what are ways that we are bridging the gap to find one another and to build community? The entire gospel lies on our community being together. We are nothing if we are holy and ritualistically pure, but separate from one another. That's not the body of Christ. That's not the family of Christianity that Jesus fought for, lived for, and died for. No, God wants us to rearrange our perspective, to see all the things around us that we are used to making barriers between us and flipping those upside down and finding ways to make those connectors between us. And allowing for God to fill that space, allowing for God to help us build the bridge between us. So... Dr. Murphy and Brene Brown say to us, what are the ways that you and I can practice tilting the world towards a little bit more to love? 
What are ways that you and I can practice doing that so that the generations that follow us and hear this word from Paul and this message and this love from Jesus can continue to transform the world ahead of them? That they can be uh, heirs of a message of love without the baggage and the heaviness of all of this other stuff that they not have to live out of the wounds of racism, that they not have to live out of the wounds of sexism, that they not have to live out of all of the different wounds that separate us in our community. But that our children, instead of living from these places of slavery, now live according to this promise of God, this promise of Jesus, and that they take alongside the community with them to live in this life as sons of Christ Jesus, because you and I have lived that way to model that way for our kiddos. And some of us will have to do some recalibrating. It's so easy, it happens. I remember really early on when I was a kid, I, um, I was auditioning for a performing arts academy when I was in fifth grade. And it was one of the first times that I realized that I was really different from somebody else and that that difference could make me unlikable to them or make me unacceptable to them. So I was going into this Performing Arts Academy, you did have to audition. It was like a cold read, so you didn't quite know what you were doing, but you stood outside of the auditioning room, and as I stood there outside of the auditioning room, I stood there next to another kiddo who was about the same age, fifth grade. But he was white, blonde, blue-eyed, and he knew, um, and confident, and he knew, um, that he could say words that could possibly hurt me. I was shy then, and I was this brown girl with long black hair, and I had worn my very lucky Converse shoes, black shoes, that were very holy. My mom and I had had a fight about them recently. She didn't want me to wear the holy ones. But I needed to wear my lucky shoes. But as I inched next to him, he fought his mom, and he said, I don't want to stand next to her. And I, I didn't really know what to do. I was like, oh, why would he want to stand next to me? And my mom said, don't worry, it's going to be fine. But every time that I fidgeted a little bit, as fifth graders do, and I maybe moved a little bit closer to him, he would fidget away from me. Where did he get this notion that there was something wrong with me as I stood next to him? I don't know. But really earlier on, we learn how to create barriers between one or the other. And my wish and my longing for our generations to come is that we not lean into that as much as we lean into the possibilities of creating friendships and connections because that is what Jesus longs for us to live in. And this is the promise that Paul is calling us into in Galatians, that you and I can live from the well of holiness that is Jesus and that we can wear it as a second skin and that the world might be transformed because we have accepted this spirit and lived from that well in our life. So may you this week, my friends, listen to the voice of God, the Spirit of God in you. And may you go into the world bridging gaps instead of building barriers. 
that you go into the world this week and tilt it just a little bit more towards love. And that when you find yourself in moments of looking to your right and to your left, deeply uncomfortable with the differences around you, that you lean into, that you call on the name of Abba Father, that you trust the Holy One to be there for you, to help you recalibrate your space, your mind, your heart. For God wants all of us to be a part of this body of Christ because this is the picture of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus came not only to die for, but to live for. May you tilt the world just a little bit more towards love this week. Amen.